You're listening to a sermon from Ketchikan Church of the Nazarene. For more sermons or information about our church, please visit ktnnaz.org or like Ketchikan Naz on Facebook. I love recorded piano music, but I also really love it when we have live players. Isn't it great that we have people in this church that can play the piano? And one of them is serving downstairs in the nursery, and one of them is getting ready to marry off her daughter this coming week. So we celebrate with them. Um, We're thankful to technology in the meantime. Uh, This morning, we are in the book of Matthew. Okay, Um, which is great. It's good to know um, that we are in a long obedience in the same direction, as it were. We are um, studying faithfully the word of God from the beginning of Matthew to the end of Matthew's uh, chronicles of it. And uh, today we find ourselves again in the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus must have given quite a nice sermon that day. It was very long. Um, and, uh, and we are at Matthew chapter 5 in the Sermon on the Mount. And we're picking up in verse 17 today. Um, and it goes through 48. We're not going to read the entirety of it this morning. Um, I'm going to uh, isolate a few select scriptures and we're going to kind of dive into what those things mean. This passage in its own could be seven to eight different messages Um, and some of you might be aware, as I've shared with you this week, I wrote eight sermons this week for this particular passage. Gene, I promise you I won't preach all eight of them. Um, And uh, and so I have asked the Lord to help me whittle down what exactly it is that he has on his mind and heart for you guys this morning. Um, So uh, we'll pray, and then we'll begin. Father, this morning, well, you know my heart. You know where I've been this past week. trying to figure out to discern what you would have to say to us this morning, to myself included. Um, And uh, this morning I ask, Lord, uh, that as we read your word, that you would give an extra special attention to my heart to say only the things that you would have said, to encourage, um, to lift up the people of this congregation. Lord, I pray um, that your word would shine brightly and that I would be hidden behind your cross um, as we study the words of Jesus this morning to us about perfection, a difficult topic. And Lord, we thank you that you are perfect and that you call us to be the same. We give you all the praise and all the glory for that promise. And now we're going to look at what that means. It's in your son's name that we pray. Amen. All right. Are you guys familiar with Pinterest? Yes. Any of, any of you want to claim that you, I see a few hands that kind of, okay. Um, I'm going to be very honest with you. I saw something really good on the internet one time. It was a bacon recipe, and um, I wanted to find out the recipe. So I clicked on it, and it said, in order to see, you had to have a Pinterest account. In order, and so I signed up <laughs> for a Pinterest account because I wanted the bacon recipe. It was a good recipe. I don't use my Pinterest account. It makes me, I don't know, feel weird. But um, there are some interesting things that Pinterest offers us. A great example of these beautiful crafts and these excellent home-baked goods and these ways to photograph your children. And then there's this kind of status of perfection that Pinterest offers. Um, And then we strive to figure out how might we duplicate that perfection in our own kitchen, right? Or in our own photograph studio or in our own art studio. And I just want to share with you guys the things that make me laugh, okay? Um, have you heard of the Pinterest fail blog? Yes, no, okay. Um, people who have tried and failed to achieve the status of perfection that Pinterest offers. Um, 
Chocolate-covered kiwi popsicle. Beautiful, right? Fail. Um, chocolate didn't stay on. It looks, it looks the most unappetizing thing. So the typical cultural way of doing this is saying what the item is and then nailed it when they clearly didn't, okay? Um, how, about, how about this one? Cookie Monster Cupcakes. Right? Not exactly appetizing. Something, his eye drips off the edge there. It's not, I would eat this. I would run from this, okay? What about this one? Minion cake? Beautiful. Uh, nailed it, right? It's excellent. Excellent stuff. It's aiming for perfection and, yeah, it's just so disturbing. Uh, you see his hands right here? Oh, it's just. Oh, man. What about this picture? Beautiful baby picture? <laughs> Horrified. Right? You've all, you've all tried to get the beautiful picture of your child, right? There's other ones that I didn't put up here where they have the kid in the pumpkin and his legs are coming out. And the kid's like sitting there like enjoying the pumpkin, being inside as a baby inside a pumpkin. And it's like this beautiful glowing picture. And then there's like this ream of photos of babies that are screaming Pumpkin goo is everywhere. It's just, you should, it's hysterical. You should Google that one. Um, so, yeah, not okay uh, attempted at perfection. What about this one? No regerts. Um, this one makes me laugh. Uh, the fact of the matter is some mistakes, like, uh, like these ones, they're laughable. They're not exactly permanent. They're not going to leave any scars, maybe on your child, I don't know, but not any scars in the lifelong stretch of things. You just throw the cake out and pretend like it didn't happen, um, unless, you know, probably the husband took a picture of this and posted it on Facebook. Um, But some attempts leave a permanent mark. No regrets. Right, can you imagine you go in to get tattooed? No regrets, man, no regrets, and you come out, no regrets, I regret that. (laughs) And someone says, nope, you regret that. Um, Okay, some things you do leave permanent marks on your skin, on your life, on the life of others, in relationships. In our striving for perfection, sometimes we have some regrets along the way. Okay, we're just going to be honest with one another. Today, Jesus is going to talk to us about perfection. And the fact that we strive for it, which is good, but sometimes the ways in which we try to get it are not. He speaks to us some promises and some strong words. Um, If you would turn with me to Matthew chapter 5, I just want to read verse 48. Okay, I'm going to stick it up here on the screen for you. And it says this. This is the very last verse of this passage this morning. You, therefore, must be perfect. As your heavenly father is perfect. Well, crud. (laughs) This is the word of the Lord to you guys. Go in peace. Work that one out, right? Um, You, therefore, must be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. Now, I want to be very honest with you guys. Sometimes people get the impression, I hope I've never given you this impression. Um, Sometimes people get the impression that their pastors got it all figured out, right? They've been to seminary, they know the Bible, they can quote just about anything, they can rattle off to you the Greek and the Hebrew, okay? Um, That they don't wrestle with anything that's in Scripture, that when they've got the text laid before them, they go, yeah, I theologically understand it, I intellectually get it, 
and practically I can apply it, I have no problems. But the reality is, yeah, no, that's not true. I'm a human like anybody else. And sometimes I struggle with passages. And this is one of those passages where I was reading it and studying it. I had to write eight, eight sermons because I was really wrestling with this idea of perfection. Any perfectionists in here? Anyone want to admit it? Okay, I see the faces that are trying not to raise the hands. Okay. Um, I get it. I'm not, I'm not a perfectionist in all areas, but in some areas I am. And this one just uh, kind of gets under my skin because it's this idea of you must be perfect. Well, I can't be. And that's frustrating to me. And I wonder what Jesus is getting at when he says you must be perfect, like God is perfect. And then I look at my regerts and I go, I might not have a tattoo that says no regerts, but I might as well because I've done quite a few things in my life that I regret over the years. And um, this verse that says, you must be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect, I struggle with it. And so I want us to kind of do what Jesus did with the Pharisees, okay? Um, from top to bottom in this passage, he starts off in verse 17, and he talks about the law. And we've talked about the law before. Uh, leading up to Christmas, we talked about the Ten Commandments and how they were the standard by which we were to live in the Old Testament. It was God's way of saying here you go. Here's a good way to live, to know me, to interact with other people. And the Pharisees of the day took the law as how to attain perfection. That if they could keep the law, then they were perfect. And Jesus says, okay, let's play a game. Let's go through some of the areas of the law that are really commonly broken. Let's see how you do. And so he walks through areas like Anger and lust and divorce and oaths and retaliation and loving your enemies and these kinds of things. And he, he checks the Pharisees and the people who are listening. How'd you do? Let me give you a situation and see how you did. So let's play that game ourselves this morning. Don't answer out loud, okay? Unless you just really want to be transparent with us this morning, which is okay. Um, but just, just kind of run through this in your mind. Let me ask you some questions. We'll take the Pharisees' righteousness test this morning. Have you ever... Loved some people. Hated some other people. Well, according to the law, that's okay. It's okay to love some people and hate some people. Have you ever gotten back at someone in equal measure in which they harmed you? Well, that's okay with the pharisaical law as well. Um, have you ever experienced divorce or separation in a marriage? According to the law, that was okay, too. Have you ever had an affair? No? Okay. Ever murdered anyone? In your mind, how did you do with the pharisaical test? Do okay? The Pharisees, in response to Jesus, said, we're perfect, man. We keep the law. Um, and Jesus said, I think you missed something really important. And now that you've got your pride puffed up, I want to pop it. I want to take every Pinterest law thing that you said nailed it, and I want to put what it really looks like to me next to what you think you've done. And so then he says this in verse 20. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, unless you're better than the Pinterest people, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. And again, when I'm, I'm studying this passage, I'm like deflating as I'm reading this stuff because um, it says you must be perfect. But not only must you be perfect, you must be better than perfect. I, 
it's a standard by which I'm struggling. I can't even make cookie monster cookies, okay? The bacon recipe I tried tasted great but looked horrible. And Jesus says, I have to be better than the Pharisees? And I struggle with that. How do I be better? How, how am I supposed to be better than the Pharisees? Um, the questions that um, the Pharisees judged their righteousness with. Jesus said there's something more to them than you understand. While the law is valid and good, Jesus said, listen, I didn't come to abolish it. I came to fulfill it. While the law is good, it's not checklist Christianity that makes you perfect. Okay? It isn't about the actions of your hands, which is what the Pharisees made it about. I never murdered anyone. I never stole from the coffers. I never, I physically never did these things, Jesus. Therefore, I'm perfect. But Jesus says, listen, it's not about the actions of your hands. It's about the attitude of your heart that brings about perfection. It's not about the laws, but it's about the love that motivates the laws. It's not about religion, a system by which you live in checklists, but it's about relationship. Who do you live in relationship with? So Jesus says, your righteousness must surpass that of the Pharisees. So kingdom disciples must understand the law, but more than that, they must understand the love that motivates the law. What is behind the law? So I want to ask you some questions. This morning, we've taken the Pharisee righteousness quiz, okay? And probably most of us passed that fairly well. But I want us to take the Jesus righteousness quiz. Okay, this one might be a little more painful. I struggled through this one this week, okay? This kind of walks us through the scriptures this morning that are sandwiched between the two perfection verses. Don't answer these out loud. Have you ever had a broken relationship? Whether it was a dating relationship or a friendship relationship or any relationship. Have you ever had a broken relationship? Have you ever gotten into a fight with someone? Have you ever left a conflict unresolved? Do you currently have a conflict that is unresolved? Have you said, I won't apologize until they do? I'm not wrong, so they should come to me first. Have you ever hated someone in your heart? And maybe it was displayed by using words that were unkind in your mind or out loud about someone? Have you used words like hate or jerk, idiot, fool, or a horrible person? Have you used prayer request time as an extended gossip session? Sharing more details than is needed about a situation on behalf of someone else? Or maybe perhaps yourself so that you skew people's opinions about how to pray? Have you flat out refused to pray for someone? Have you chosen to hang out with people that only make you feel good? Have you you intentionally avoided people or situations that are termed EGR, extra grace required, or MGR, more grace required? Have you ever gotten back at someone in action? Or have you ever desired to? the thought just run through your head? Have you ever prayed or hoped or wished that someone wouldn't get what they wanted? 
But they phrased it, Lord, let your will be done. But they're just a horrible human being who's wronged me in so many ways. Have you ever asked for God's blessing on sinful desires? Lord, it's my will that you would bless me in such a way, shape, or form. Or that you would... Have you ever said one thing and done another? Made a promise and not kept it? But swore you would keep it next time. Next time. Have you done that enough that people stopped trusting you? Have you ever been affected by divorce? Have you seen a marriage crumble? Maybe you were a child. Maybe you were the spouse. Maybe you were a sibling. Have you ever felt the pain of a marriage, a family being ripped apart by anger or lack of trust or lack of attention? Have you ever cheated on a spouse in action or in word or in thought? Maybe it was on a computer or a TV or a magazine or a book with images or words that incited passion for someone other than your spouse. Maybe you daydreamed about life with another person, life without your spouse. Maybe you were more emotionally connected to someone who wasn't your spouse. You have a work spouse. You share a lot of things with them. You gripe about your marriage to them. And if you're single, have you had a physical relationship outside of the bounds of marriage? Have you let your heart be led by images or words? That's the stuff that Jesus talks about in this passage. It's not just that you haven't physically done these things. It's that have you thought about them? Have you lingered on these things? Do you let your mind wander towards these things? How did you do? Were you able to say, not only am I righteous like the Pharisees, but I've surpassed their righteousness. Jesus, I am perfect. I don't need you. No, I mean either. This list was rough this week, okay? As I looked at what Jesus' standard of perfection was. Not only am I not righteous, but I'm not even righteous like the Pharisees. Um, if you're like me, you go through the list and you get to the end and the thought is, man, I don't deserve the kingdom. I'm not righteous. My righteousness isn't greater than the Pharisees. And so where does that leave me? It leaves me at verse 48, having gone through the scriptures. You, therefore, must be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. And I felt like God was kind of beating me this week. I started off with, your righteousness needs to be better than the Pharisees. And now here's all the ways in which you don't add up to perfection. Fail, fail, fail. And I was like, well, this is not encouraging. I don't know how this is going to present on Sunday. That's what I was thinking most of the week. That might explain the eye twitch that I've had most of this week. Um, and so I kind of I lingered on verse 48. And then I went back to verse 17, and then I went back to verse 48, and then I went back to verse 17, and I was looking at what sandwiches all of these things. Because I'm learning that Jesus talks in sandwiches, these pericopes, these stories, these um, things where there's something, and then there's a content, and then there's something. And those two somethings are the same, and it says pay attention to what's in the middle, but the, the kicker is the beginning and the end. And he starts with perfection, and he ends with perfection. So let me read to you verses, uh, verse 17. I'll stick it up here. for That's verse 20, okay? Um, I guess I didn't put verse 20 up there for you, but there's verse 20. Let me read to you verse 17. Don't think I came. See, not even perfect. I have a typo. <laughs> 
Uh, Don't think that I came to abolish the law or the prophets. I didn't come to abolish it, Jesus says, but to fulfill it. He continues, for truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not one dot, not one iota will pass away from the law until it's all accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same and relaxing them will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does these things and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. See, Jesus came to fulfill the law. He starts off with that. And in that, there's some hope, right? It's that he came to do it. And there's something there that we have to hold on to as we read through the areas in which we're not succeeding. Because he said he came to fulfill it, meaning he came to bring it to its full meaning, to change things from religion to relationship, from law and checklists to love that motivates and encourages. But beyond coming to fulfill it, he also came to live it in fullness, perfectly. His righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees. He is perfect as his heavenly Father is perfect. And because of that, he can turn to you and I and say, I am perfect and I will give you my perfectness so that you too can be perfect. So before he even gets to the part where he's poking me in the rib saying, yeah, okay, this part doesn't add up and this part doesn't add up and here's a regret that you might want to pay attention to. He's already said, listen, I've, came, I've come to make this perfect, and when I am completed my perfection, I will give it to you so that you might have perfection as well. Um, I was wrestling with how I might describe this to you all. Um, can I get just two people to give me a hand real quick? Anybody? Jump up. Don't be shy. I'm not going to bite. I'm not going to make you do anything funky. Just need someone to hand out cups. Okay. Um, Everybody needs a cup, so there we go. Okay. Uh, as you all are getting your cups, I want you to just kind of think that this is you, okay? Um, and I want you to go with me on an analogy that I hope makes sense to you because it kind of made sense to me this week. Um, what's the purpose of this? What do you use a cup for? The game cups, okay. To drink something, right? So the function of a cup is simply uh, to hold liquid, right? So that you have a way by which to drink your liquid, right? Um, We have gone a long way since the days in which we crouched by streams and, you know, or like dogs just put our mouth to the water and laughter sucked it up. Okay, we now have a tool, a magnificent tool by which we can be hydrated. We can um, have liquid. Its function is to not let any of that water get away before it gets to our mouth, right? Because if you try and cup water with your hands, as hard as you try, it's going to get out between your fingers, right? Um, So what you start with isn't what you end up with. And so you try and get low to the water and do it fast and you look silly and you're splashing. We have a cup. It's perfect. Nailed it, okay? It gets the water to your mouth. Now, I want you to think of this cup in terms of your life, okay? Um, God made you with a purpose, right? When you are living your purpose, like this cup lives its purpose, water to mouth, that is where you are perfect. 
when you are living in the way that God has called you to live. When you are filled with the Holy Spirit, you are fulfilling your purpose. Whether you are a trash collector, whether you are a preacher, whether you are, it doesn't matter. When you are doing what God has called you to do, you are perfect. Now, if you have a pen handy on you, okay, maybe you don't have to share, okay, I want you to just scribble on your cup. Do, mark it up, okay, For, just do whatever you want, it doesn't really matter. Just make some marks on it, you know. Is this cup still perfect? Even though it's got marks on it? Right? If it came off the production line like this, what would they do with it? They'd chuck it, right? The world says this makes the cup not perfect. But in our worldview, we go, eh, you want to know what? It's had some experiences. But does it still get water to my mouth? Yeah. Okay. Now take your pen, poke a hole in your cup. Is this cup perfect? Ah, That's insightful. Yeah. Depending on where your hole is, it might partially fulfill its purpose, right? I want you to think of this cup like your life, okay? I don't know where you put your hole. Um, I put mine about midway. Some people put the hole on the bottom, okay? I'm not trying to get all psychological on you, okay? I'm just saying put a hole in your cup. What I'm saying is the things that we do, the regerts that are permanent in our life, leave a, leave a permanent mark in our life, right? There are some things that we're always going to bear a scar from. And I can, under my own power, live up to that line. But if I try and fill myself past that line, I'm going to start leaking because there's a problem in my life that needs to be dealt with. That's where I run into my perfection threshold. Under my own power, I can be perfect and look great up to here. But beyond that, I leak, right? But there's something really beautiful about God when he says, you therefore be perfect, as my heavenly father is perfect. He looks at cups that have holes in them, whether they're at the bottom, and it doesn't matter how much water you put in, it's going to drip right out immediately, or whether it's at the very top, okay? And it's somewhere in the middle like mine. Um, God looks at these cups and says, man, I made these cups. I love these cups. Yeah, they got some marks on them. They might have a few holes in them, but I see them as perfect, and I want to help them get that way. I made them so they wouldn't have to live in an imperfect way under their own power. I made them so that they might be perfectly filled. And so when you've got a hole in your cup, that's not that's, that's how I function if I try and live under my own steam. It's not pretty. Okay. And even at the threshold line, it's still dripping. But what happens... If I can maintain perfect balance, I'm not going to drip, right? Is life perfectly balanced? Pretty soon I'm going to run out of water. It depends on what's shaking me, right? Something stubbed my toe, nothing bad. A family member passes away, 
that's just going to be this. I'm going to lose all balance. And I'm going to start to drift. But what happens if you live in such a way that you allow God's perfection to be your perfection? And you are filled up not with your own works righteousness like the Pharisees, but you're filled up with God's righteousness, God's perfection, God's holiness. What happens then to those holes that you have? It's filled. Plugged. This cup holds water. Well, my thumb's holding it in, but you get it. It's the Holy Spirit, okay? Um, Our lives are a lot like these cups. We live in such a way that we try and attain perfection on our own. When we have a regret that's too great to overcome, we then can't live past that line. We're going to bump into that time and time again. Um, But the holes that you have, the marks and the leaks, they are redeemed by Christ. For Christ and for you. Um, He came that you might have life to the fullest. Meaning that your cup would be filled perfectly with him. You are being made perfect when God is in you and you allow the Holy Spirit to work through you. Like, those holes, God can work through that. The prayer that I was praying this morning before the sermon um, is, uh, is in Corinthians. And probably, of course, I didn't mark it, now did I? Um, but it's in Corinthians, and, uh, oh, it says this. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in your weakness. So where you are weak and where you didn't match up to the Pharisees and the scribes and all of that kind of thing, Christ says, no, I I got that. I can work with that. I can make that perfect. Not maybe how we would define perfection, but Christ will at the end of the day say, nailed it. That person loves me and that. It's the beginning of perfection. See, Jesus came that you too can live In love and relationship, not just in law and religion, not just under your own steam, not just continually trying to refill yourself, but leaking along the way. He came so that you would be filled fully in him. So let's kind of go through this a little bit. Do you have broken relationships? God desires reconciliation for you in that relationship. He can give that reconciliation first in your own life, right? You must be reconciled to Christ, and then you can go be a reconciler in that relationship. He does not ask what he cannot give, and he does not give what he does not, uh, has not done himself. In your sin, you and Jesus had this great conflict. Your will versus his will. Your idea of how your cup should be filled versus his idea of how your cup should be filled. And while you were sinning against him and your relationship was broken, Jesus didn't sit up in heaven and go, well, they sinned against me. They ought to come up here and make it right. I'm not going to say anything to them. they got to come to me. No, Jesus didn't say that. Jesus said, oh, they hurt me, man. They broke my heart. But I love them. I can't let this stay this way. i got to go down there and do something about it. 
And love motivated Jesus. And he got down off the throne and he took off his crown and he came to earth and he sought out reconciliation for all people for all time on the cross. So you and Jesus are restored through his faithful life and death and resurrection. So you're not in conflict with Christ if you have received his grace and forgiveness and it's all free. And then because of that grace and forgiveness that you've received, Jesus would say in this passage to us, you therefore should go seek reconciliation with people. If you want to come to the altar and worship God, well, he loves that you want to worship him. But if you have a broken relationship somewhere else and you try and worship God, he goes, why would you receive my reconciliation but not offer it to someone else? You need to go take care of that first so that you can have true worship, true relationship, true unity. Do what I did for you. Do it for other people, Jesus says. The Beatitudes said this, Blessed are the peacemakers. Those should be called the sons and daughters of God. You shall be holy and perfect like God when you seek reconciliation. But maybe you cheated in a relationship. Maybe you were in a marriage that ended. Do you know God has been in a relationship like that too? You ever think about that? We've all cheated on him with false gods. He feels the pain of someone who should have the sole relationship attention, and yet he didn't get it. False gods, false hopes, our own wills, filling our own cup. And in the book of Hosea, God told the prophet, I want you to take a prostitute for a wife, and when she runs away, I want you to go get her again and bring her back, and I want you to love her consistently no matter what she does to you, no matter how many times she cheats on you. And then I want you to use this as an example of how I view the church, how I view Israel. And I want you to tell people, stop doing this to me. Stop cheating on me. It hurts. He's a faithful God who loves us when we cheated. He is the groom, Scripture says, and the church is the bride. And everything he does is to purify us towards perfection. Regardless of how you've strayed in the past with God or a spouse or whatever... Christ seeks after you and says, I can restore this relationship. Not only the heavenly to earthly, but the earthly to earthly. He gives you a future regardless of your past. And with that solid foundation in Christ, you might find the strength to cease the ways in which you are living in adultery. And you'll long for God more than you long for the cheating behaviors. Relationship wounds can stand to be healed and you can live a life that is full and complete. You will be holy and perfect like God when you see him as the head of the church. And he is the good and faithful bridegroom. But maybe your words have left people doubting your character, right? We're just working through the checklist that Jesus gave us. The Jesus version, not the Pharisee version. Maybe your words have left people doubting your character. I ran across this quote. Jesus' followers should be people whose words are so characterized by integrity that other people need no formal assurance of their truthfulness in order to trust them. Meaning this, if you're a believer in Christ, you shouldn't have to say, I promise, or I swear, or, I, you know, those kinds of words. We should live in such a way that when we say simply, I'll be there, I'll do that, I've got it taken care of, that people recognize that's a trustworthy person, right? Their character is the character of God. Therefore, when they say, I got it. Then you know, eh, they got it. Whatever that might be. 
rather than living in. I'll promise next, next time, I promise I'll follow through on that. Continually living like that leads other people to believe something about the God in which we love that isn't true. Isaiah knew this feeling, right, when he talked about words. <clears throat> he said this, woe is me, I'm ruined, I'm a man of unclean lips. Maybe he made promises he shouldn't have, that he couldn't have kept. Maybe he, maybe he swore like a sailor, I don't know. But in the presence of God, he said, woe is me, I'm ruined, I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. He knew that God's word was eternal and that his character was unchanging and faithful. And he saw how the people in Jerusalem were living and he saw that they were tossed about. Jesus wept for the people with unclean lips. And he sees your struggle today and he has compassion on you. And he can fill you up with a life that transforms your heart and your mind so that when you speak, you speak in such a way that is of the character of God with the confidence and the joy of Christ, so that your yes can be yes and your no can be no. And it's okay to use both of those words, okay? For some of you, you haven't learned the word N-O, okay? It's okay. But let your yes be yes and your no be no, and don't follow it up with a but I, if I, then I might, okay? Let your yes be yes and your no be no. The words that you have said and the things that you have done in the past don't define you. What defines you is what Jesus has said and done. And this morning, Jesus says, like he said to Isaiah, Behold, this coal that has touched your lips has made you clean. Your iniquity is taken away and your sins are forgiven. You shall be holy and perfect like God when you let Jesus mold your heart, when he fills your cup and he overflows out of your mouth, when you become salt and light for a world with your words. Maybe you've allowed anger and hatred to run your life. To determine who you are near. Who you pray for. How you pray. The words you speak about others. And though you get angry with others over their actions towards you, God, though he had every right to be angry at you for your actions, does not allow his wrath to fall on you like you allow your wrath to fall on others. His overwhelming love and grace are what you experience in the place of his wrath. James writes this, God's mercy triumphs over judgment. Ah, awesome, okay? Huge promise. God's mercy triumphs over judgment. What do we deserve? Judgment. What do we get? Mercy. It's not fair. And it's not fair in the best possible way for us. You were an enemy of God in your sin. And he poured out the wrath of that sin on Jesus, on the cross. We are about to walk through Palm Sunday and Good Friday and Easter, where the wrath of, of God was poured out on his one and only son, who died and was buried so that we would not be eternally dead. While we were still sinning, Christ died for us. So that we could have a life and a heart that's transformed by mercy. So that we don't have to live under our own filling of the cup. But we can live under God's. You will be holy and perfect as your heavenly father is perfect when you trust Jesus for salvation. And allow his great love to carry you. I want to read a few scripture verses that are not contained in Matthew this morning. Philippians 1.6 says this. There we go. There we go. How about this? Nope. Wait. Where did we go? 
There we go. Perfection is a journey, and it's completed when we see Jesus face to face. Here's Philippians 1.6. I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus. The word completion is actually the same word as perfection. So here's what, here's what God's saying to you. He's beginning a work in you from the moment you first believe. The first seeds of faith where you go, ah, yeah, I might believe, I think I could. I, I'll jump in these waters, I'm not really sure what it means. From the moment that you place your trust in Christ, he is bringing about your perfection. He is working on you and perfecting you. But it's a journey and ultimately will be completed the day you are with Jesus in heaven. When you have your new body and you see Jesus face to face and things are perfect. No more tears, no more sadness, no more sorrow. But until that point, God's working on you, right? Because we accidentally, sometimes intentionally, have more regerts that poke holes in our cup. Even in following Jesus, right? We still have those regerts, okay? Um, but God says, no, this is a journey. I'm with you on this. Let's, let's work towards perfection together. And in verse 48, we read earlier that you must be perfect. And I took that as an insult because I can't be perfect under my own power. But I read it as under my own power. But this, this verbiage, you must be perfect in Matthew, it has everything to do in the tense of the Greek that it's written that he is currently making you perfect. It's not that under your own power, figure out a way to be perfect. It's that you must be. I want you to be. I've bought your perfection. I'm giving it to you. Here, take it, please. You must be perfect. I want you to be perfect. It's not that he's saying, do it under your own will. He's saying, it's, I've done it for you. Yeah, here, please, you must be perfect. I want you not to perish. It's a desperate plea from Jesus to the lost and perishing in the world, saying, no, I don't want you to die in your sins. Here, you must be perfect. I've set you apart. I'm filling your cup. I can patch those holes. Even some of the marks I can take away. And if I'm not taking them away, I've got a reason for them. You can use them. They will be made more perfect when you utilize them for God's glory. It's not the standard by which we go to in verse 48 and say, man, I failed. It's a high standard. It's one to reverently seek after, but it's a promise that says I've already done this for you. Hebrews 10. I don't know if I put this up on a... Oh, there we go. Hebrews 10, 11 through 14. says this. Oh, the book of Hebrews is all about... Christ perfecting you. This is a beautiful, beautiful book. We'll probably do this one two years from now. Hebrews 10, verses um, 11 through 14. And every priest stands daily in service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. Get that? That's what we do when we live under our own power. We try day in and day out. Maybe I'll fix it. Maybe I'll do it better. Maybe uh, this time, maybe he'll take it. Every priest stands daily at service, offering repeated same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sin, he sat down at the right hand of God. He sat down, meaning it was done. He sat down at the right hand of God and waited from that time until his enemy would be made a footstool at his feet, meaning he conquers all things. And for by a single offering, his own life, he perfected, 
for all time those who are being sanctified, those who have put their trust in him, those who say, Lord, I love you. I'm not even sure what it means, but I'm on this journey with you. He has perfected you. That is huge, people. That's huge. It's, um, it's the fact that he gives you his perfection. He lived perfectly. He died painfully. He arose awesomely. And now he says, that perfection by which I lived, both by the law and the love standard, I now want to give to you. I want to enable you to live in that way. His love perfects you. The law was given to mankind to show us that we needed him for perfection. Can't do it on our own. Jesus is our perfection this morning. And when he becomes your perfection and you allow him to fill your cup and stick his fingers in the holes and bolster you, law and love become melded together in a way that brings healing, in a way that brings holiness, in a way that sanctifies you beyond that initial salvation to which the point that you go, man, I can look at the cup that which he gave me initially and I've destroyed, and I'm done filling it on my own. I'm ready for God to fill it, And I want that fresh filling. I want the one that plugs the holes and shows me in the ways in which those damaged parts can be redeemed for something fantastic. And I want to use it in that way. Done filling up with dirty water from my own stream. I'm ready for the stream of eternal life that God gives. Um, Going back to the Beatitudes, because he keeps hitting on them. Blessed are those who are poor in spirit. Those folks who see their sin. Oh, man, I have regrets. God, I have regrets. Blessed are those who mourn. I'm so sorry, God. Cheated on you. Lied about you with my own actions and words. Blessed are those who are gentle. Those who receive Christ and go, okay, I haven't, haven't done well with my own cup. God, I need you to fill it up. Blessed are those who receive Christ and submit to God's will and are filled because they are saved. And then blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. They will be satisfied unless your righteousness is greater than that of the Pharisees. You will never enter the kingdom of heaven. But if you lay down your cup at the foot of the cross and say, God, I need your righteousness. Fill me up. That's all it takes, folks. That's how perfection is attained. So when you get to verse 48 and you read, you must be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect, you can say not boastfully and pridefully, but you can say humbly and confidently, God is making me perfect. And in him, he sees me as perfect. He looks at me and he sees me as perfect. Those of you that have children, when they write on the walls with Sharpie or when they break the things that you value and when they don't listen to you, right? They're little cups, getting little doodles on them, okay? We'll get little holes on them sometimes. But you look at your children and you go, I love them so much. They are perfect. Yeah, they've got some stuff we've got to work on. But I'll help them work on it. And over time, they will come to be more like me. And that's what God says to you. In time, all of the things that you've done with your cup will be redeemed. In time, you will look more like me until one day... In heaven, face to face, your perfection will be so beautiful, but it's all Christ. 
I want to close with one verse. We'll pray and then we'll worship. We'll worship the God who is perfect and who is currently making us perfect. In Hebrews 12, it says this in uh, the very beginning of it. Verse 2. Um, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despised the shame, and is seated at the right hand of God. It says that we're supposed to lay aside every weight and sin and run with endurance this race of perfection, right? To run it with endurance, knowing that God's going to continually fill your cup. God's going to continually patch the regerts. And he has perfected you. And he sees you as perfect through Jesus. There is great hope there. Far better than the way I started reading this verse at the beginning of the week, in which I just wanted to cry. I just couldn't figure out how to be perfect. And then I realized I was trying too hard under my own steam. And I needed Jesus. Hi, I'm your pastor, and I need Jesus to make me perfect day in and day out. And I think I could say for the same about rest of us, right? We need a little bit of Jesus. Why don't we pray? And why don't we worship the God who makes us perfect? Father, you are perfect. There are moments in Scripture that explain your throne room or just the trail of your robe. And even the train of your robe is so awe-inspiring and perfect that people fall down in the worship and shield their eyes. And yet this perfection that you are, God, looks down into our perfection and doesn't say, I'm going to brush this away and start over like a production line with cups would, but looks at us and goes, oh, I love you so much. What you are is so valuable to me, even with the stuff. I'm going to reclaim you, polish you up. I'm going to give you a new life. I'm going to redeem the things that have been done to you. I'm going to redeem the things that you've done to yourself and to others. I'm going to make you perfect. It's going to be a journey and it's going to be fun. And Lord, we submit to that this morning. Lord, I would ask if there is anyone in this room, Father, that you're speaking to that needs that perfection this morning, needs the assurance that it's there and available, that the filling will come if we but ask, the holes can be patched if we but seek you. If you're speaking to someone's heart this morning, Lord, would you just confirm it for them in this very moment? Would you just whisper or shout, poke them in the ribcage? Do what you do to speak to your people this morning so that life change might occur, so that no one leaves here going, I can't do it. I'm trying and I can't. But they leave here going, I can't do it. But with God, yes, I can. Lord, we pray this morning that you'd fill us up with your Holy Spirit. You'd patch all the holes. You'd redeem us for your good work. And we're thankful, God, that you're perfect. And we're thankful that you've called us to be perfect alongside of you. We're in it for the journey, Father, for the long haul. And we give you all the praise and all the glory. It's in your son's perfect name that we pray. Amen. You know, there's no reason we have to stay in the grave, although we put ourselves there regularly. But Christ says, arise. My perfection is your perfection. And here's a benediction, not from my own brain, but from Scripture this morning. Finally, brothers, rejoice. And sisters, rejoice. Aim for restoration. Comfort one another. Agree with one another. Live in peace. 
and the God of love and peace will be with you. So greet each other with a holy kiss. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen? Amen. Amen.